What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Creatives on Business. My name is Henry Marsh, and it is my job to chat to all of the amazing creative people out there in the world on how they run their respective creative businesses. With me today, all the way from Pretuers, Snor City, is the old mayor of Pretoria, if I can put it that way. That's what we used to call the man. Audrey, hello. What's happening, Manier? Oh, good in yourself. Good, good, good. Thanks for joining the show today in our wonderfully busy lockdown coronavirus season. Yeah, I know, 100%. This is obviously my lockdown look. I don't know if anyone will, hopefully no one will see my face, but uh, fun fact though, I mean, you, you mentioned the mayor. There's, Pretoria currently doesn't have a mayor. Really? The mayor actually resigned. Yeah, he resigned. Um, and then there's, there's this weird sort of legislative issue where we have to now elect a mayor in this awkward time. So, yeah, so I might actually just assume the position. I, I was about to say, so I feel like there's a job opening here for you. Oh, 100%. Um, so for the party people out there who don't know, who is Adrian Lowe? What is it that you currently do with your life? Well, how much time do you have? Yeah, we, um, we, I, I try to keep the episodes under an hour, so you've got a whole hour. Okay, yeah, so, so you can, we can cover the bio. <laughs> no, I think it's, a, it's probably a loaded question, but um, I've been called a dabbler of sorts. Um, I'm an architect by profession, a self-taught sort of photographer, and then an unofficial tour guide to Pretoria. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of stuff locked in there, but I like to try many things. I can phrase it as such. Um, we've, we've always connected really, really well. And, and I, I always try to put it out into the world, you know, my little disclaimer that most of the people that I have conversations with on the show are people I actually know personally. And you and I met a couple of years ago. Um, and I think we, we're actually very similar in a lot of manners. Um, we think about things in very similar ways and do a lot of different things in similar ways, except I don't, I don't brew as much beer or as much... Uh, I don't bake as much bread as you do. Um. A, it's part of the dabbling. I mean, I mean <laughs> I've actually this week started making yogurt. So, I mean, it's, there's really no wow. spot. Yeah, um, I think one of the coolest stories I remember of you actually telling me, and I think this is one of the, one of the cool things, about, and one of the reasons why I actually wanted you on the show as well, is your entrepreneurial spirit. You told me the story about how you and your wife just one week decided to, to make jaffles at a market. Uh, and you guys rocked up made jaffles the whole entire day long and then <laughs> didn't make a hell of a lot of money and just spent the money on buying alcohol afterwards, which was great. But you did it because which you is could. A, which is a perfectly sustainable business model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, no, so, so no, we, you know, we did do that. I actually forgot about that. <laughs> but, um, and it was pretty insane. I mean, at some point we, um, this was with a previous business partner, which we started this venture, but we, we actually sold the jaffles at Hazel Food Market. And I mean, yes. and at South Towns Market. I mean, and so I think some nights we were selling like over 120 jaffles. And I mean, if you've ever made a jaffle, it's sort of fairly sort of abrasive, uh, intensive effort kind of thing. You really dream about it afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I think you and I have different dreams then as well. Um, clearly, so clearly, have yeah. you have you always had this entrepreneurial spirit? Is this something that you you just started off like from school days? You were just selling things. I think I'll give you like a quick story. So the first thing is obviously um, I think from my parents, from my mother's side, she has this intense fear that I don't finish things. Even from a very small age, she sort of tried to coerce me into finishing things. And I really get bored quickly. So I, that was, a very, it was a, sort of a, a difficult kind of struggle. But 
um, I remember my primary school had this thing they called Entrepreneur Day or whatever, where you're supposed to like come up with some sort of art or thing or whatever and then try and sell it. And then they make you pay like a fee for the table. Let's say it was 10 bucks back then. You have to pay this fee for the table. And I just thought to myself, but why am I paying this? I mean, this isn't like, why is there this sort of legislation? I've got this product which I made from these old, old um, curtain hooks, these big ones, not the ones you get now. And if you bend it open, you could make like a little crossbow. So I like recovered this um, sort of glass jar full of this from my grandmother's place. And then I made these crossbows and I was selling them like from the first period. So by the time the actual entrepreneur day started, I was sold out. And then it came out like, oh, I didn't pay the table fee or whatever. I'm like, but I didn't use the market. I used the unofficial market. I mean, why is this sort of legislated? I don't understand. So <laughs> I think there's, a bit, there's been a bit of a, yeah, let's say there's a trend entrepreneurial spirit uh, from from klein adrian um how old no. were you when you were doing this this is probably like standard one no primary school so definitely not like yeah. nine years old yeah, nine years old thing yeah pretty um, much yeah okay so for the party people out there um on the internet so you you're an, an architect by trade and and that's what you sort yeah, of practice. qualified professional architect um yeah it's that's a, your it's that's your day job that's my day job. Yeah. Well, actually, I've got, I've got, once again, these many facets of my life, but I've got a day job where I um, manage and run the sort of aesthetic plan approval process for a residential, a big residential estate in Pretoria. Um, then I also do my, my own private architecture um, on the side of that. There's sort of a convenient agreement there. And then, yeah, whatever else. I've got a blog with my wife. Um, travel blog which we sort of do whatever we want on so really highly intense um, and then there was a bit of it I mean we actually met through photography there's there's no disputing that so there's that part and it's weird in your life how as you go from one phase to the next you sort of your passions flare up and they die down and, and when I was big into photography the architecture was actually quite um, subdued well, there wasn't a lot going on so I was working for, for government for a stretch in my life as well. I always call it my, my in-service training years. So I, I did that for, for about four years, which was terrible. But I mean, then I had this fantastic opportunity to meet a lot of people through photography. I was traveling the country a lot. Um, I got access to places which you would never get access to if, you, if you're a civilian. Um, no, so I think it all sort of slots in, it all pans out. Um, why, why architecture? Why did you go into architecture originally? Yeah, that's also a fun question. From a young age, I was sort of dismantling stuff and taking stuff apart. And um, sort of there was a definite, my, my, my dad's very, very um, sort of, he's got an attitude for fixing stuff or putting stuff together, um, sort of almost like an industrial designer slash engineer kind of thing. He's, he's a, in the education business, practical education. So I think there was this sort of natural thing towards something um, technical. And it was always engineering. I, I should have, you know, I would have probably become an engineer if my parents didn't send me for um, those sort of tests, aptitude tests. And the, the guy, like he said, listen, if you put the Adrian into engineering, you're going to break his spirit. And I think he was, he was probably very right because, um, I mean, sometimes even architecture has too much rules for me. That's why I enjoyed photography. There's no rules. 
just do what you want. You got a product very quickly. You got a result sort of almost instantly. Mm. Whereas with architecture, it's definitely a long game. But yeah, it's, uh, I, after those tests, I went to go work for my uncle for a week. This was sort of standard nine. So it was a fairly late career change. So I was definitely not one of those, yeah, I was drawing stuff in my book from grade one. You know, I wasn't. I wasn't drawing. I still can't actually draw properly. It's the biggest disgrace. It's actually, <laughs> I compensate by all other sort of means to produce amazing work, but by not drawing. Um, I can't write beautifully like most architects have amazing handwriting. Like I should have become a doctor in that sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I don't think, I really don't think there was an amazing um, sort of story of why I got into it. I just think the balance between what you do and your, your sort of skill set made sense to me. And, and I'm almost, if you really don't know what you want to do, go study architecture for a year because it gives you such a weird um, range of skills. I mean, I've been exposed to designing websites, to graphic design, to landscape design, to interior design. I mean, it's also, uh, if you, I use this quote, I'll par paraphrase, but it says something, it's, it's at the introduction of a documentary, it says something in the lines of, from the hospital where you were born in to the school where you attend, the markets where you do your shopping, the cinema or theater where you go for entertainment, every aspect of your life is actually influenced by an architect. Yeah. And it's, yeah, you know, that sounds a bit like a power trip, but that's not the thing. I just think it's, it's an amazing field, which is so diverse and it teaches you to question stuff. Like you question how people think, you question how people move you. And, and even when we did the Jaffel thing at the markets, like there's <laughs> this funny thing where the one, one day the lady who ran the market put us in this awkward corner so there would be no foot traffic like no one would walk past your stall it was like really like the the, the spot where you put the awkward people like us and um i sort of looked at the situation and my uh, business partner at that point was also an architect and i was like let's just take that bench so we fetched this bench it's like a loose bench and we just moved it strategically so people like psychologically had to walk around the bench and they're actually forced to then pass those two or three stalls in this, in this tight corner. All of a sudden, everything changed. Like, it made sense. And it's such a small, stupid thing. But if you think about it, if you don't have the skill to assess that scenario, you won't find the solution. And I think, um, like I said, I bore quite easily. But I think there's like two things in my life which I can't figure out to, to an extent where I get bored of it. And the one is architecture and the other one's my wife. So I mean, these little, those two will probably be with me infinitely. <laughs> does she know this? Does she know she has this power trip over you? Um, I'm sure she does. I think it's, uh, that's maybe also a, a kind of a, a little bit of relationship advice. I think a, a, a man should never think that he actually um, has his wife figured out. And I think a woman should never be able to fully tame her husband like so you like just when you start behaving you have to do a little bit something like she just gets cross again you know and then she knows she, oh, damn it, she hasn't she hasn't domesticated you entirely yet because <laughs> i think the moment she does the moment a woman does that they'll probably get bored and then, and then cause trouble so yeah you know, it's a bit of a 
sort of a <laughs> natural tension there, which I think is healthy. Um, coming back to the architecture, you mentioned earlier that you, you guys like to travel. And I know that you guys like to travel quite a lot. Um, do you find yourself when you travel overseas, even locally, that you're analyzing buildings, taking a look at how things were designed in a specific era? Dude, it's like a disease. Um, they say there's only two people who notice ceilings prostitutes and architects so um, <laughs> like my wife is she she knows i mean she's, she's we travel a lot we've been traveling together for the best part of 10 years and um locally and internationally and i mean we've been fortunate we've seen a lot of places together um but it's 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 really like we like it gets ridiculous to the extent where some days she would just say okay today i'm going to take a personal day you go do your pilgrimages go run wherever and do whatever you need to do to see that building that you think is special. So, um, yeah, we definitely plan trips around places that I want to see. So it's, it's rough. Do you, do you find, do you have a bucket list of like specific buildings that you want to like go and take a look at? Yeah, I'm weird. I'm weird in that sense where I think I put everything sort of against its own merits. So I don't um, have a very rigid list. There's sort of this informal kind of idea of places that we still have to get to, which is pretty much everywhere. Um, but well, I mean, we were supposed to go see um, Barcelona later this year in London, which I was very excited for. But obviously that's gonna, yeah, that's falling through. Yeah, for the people out there who, who don't know, we're busy recording this on the, the 12th of May in the middle of our, our wonderful coronavirus season that we, we find ourselves in. And it's actually, it's, this is a good segue into something I, I've been wanting to discuss with you because, again, you and I have very similar outlooks in, in life. You posted something on the internet quite recently about um, people's mindsets about the current coronavirus um, outbreak that's busy taking place. Do you want to chat about that? Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a whole can of worms on its own. Um, I, and I think, I mean, it, let, let's not be insensitive towards the immense kind of load this is putting on, on a lot of people. I'm very fortunate my work carries on to some extent. Um, I, I also think that, once again, if you've, if you've survived, um, I don't know if you have friends in architecture, but if you survived a master's degree in architecture, your mind is fairly rigid in terms of surviving whatever. Um, so for myself, I can cope with it quite well, but I do think there's a, there's a sort of a, a few camps in this whole thing. You get your apocalyptic kind of people, you get your conspiracy theorists, you get, I just think people, a lot of people are still in denial to a big, big extent, and they're just focusing on returning to whatever their version of normal was. But I mean, let's be fair, it also wasn't that great. I mean, and, and, and it's amazing how people would now go off on a tangent about deaths about flu or deaths about malaria or whatever, or people being poor. All of that existed pre this. So where, where was your, your activism then? Um, I'm of opinion, um, this is actually a kind of a fast track into a new world order in terms of, I mean, if you think about the eight to five, it's been with us since the industrial revolution, it's due for an upgrade. Mm. Um, uh, Your sort of Nordic countries who are way more sophisticated have already moved on to different models. And, and I think if you, if you just look at it from an architectural design, urban design kind of perspective, the moment we reduce this 
a very rigid cycle, we can actually reduce um, the, the bulk infrastructure requirements. I mean, we would never need to expand on highways again mm. if, if we reduce this sort of peak hour demand thing. <clears throat> so it's a very primitive concept if you think about it. So, so hopefully, um, and in a selfish way, I, I hope that our country manages this in a smart way, but I also hope that it, that it just long, lasts long enough for us to actually change. Um, I think it would be a, a, a great sort of pity if we if we just revert back to where we were. Yeah, yeah. I I had a conversation with a, a friend of mine. He's he's studied with me, and he's an industrial engineer, and that's what he does for a living as well. I met up with him in in Cape Town, and we were having dinner one night, Hudson's Burger Joint. It was like a Tuesday night, um, middle of the week. And he was saying like, and this was before, this was before the whole coronavirus thing started. I think this was in Feb. So, you know, coronavirus had sort of kind of really started hitting the rest of the world, but South Africa was still very much um, not even aware of what was taking place. And we were chatting and he's like, we have a big problem with the way that our country, and, and I don't think it's, a, it's a just an our country problem, but I think it's predominantly here because we live here. We see it every day, but he's like, we have a big problem with how, buildings and things operate at the moment. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, take a look around us at the moment. It's seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night. All these, all these buildings are empty, you know, because businesses, they're all businesses. People rock up, they're there from eight to five, uh, and then people go home. And the rest of the time, these buildings stand empty. So for 16 hours in a day, these buildings are standing empty. So, you know, from an architecture point of view, I'm sure you've, I don't know if it's the kind of thing that you've thought about, but you know, you're, you're bringing it up now with, with this coronavirus argument about how we need to change the way that we implement our infrastructure. Um, what would you, what do you think is like the kind of way forward? You know, what is, what is going to happen to, you know, you, you mentioned now that we don't have to ever expand our highways. Um, I also don't think it's the kind of thing that we, we need to build as many buildings and shopping malls and all these kinds of things anyway do you think that's i mean that's clearly going to have an impact on the way that you do your job in the future yeah 100 percent. so i think and it's you're almost playing into my hand here because i mean it's 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 really the kind of um concepts that i'm pondering at the moment um so in terms of i mean that's cape town where you were um, enjoying those lovely atzenbergers but i mean pretoria is way worse um pretoria being the capital of, of south africa the CBD is literally comprised of government buildings. Now, I mean, if you if you think of your average government employee, which I've been for a, for a stretch, you literally you you zoom into work with your car, or whatever you park in a basement, you go to the office. B best sort of scenario is you maybe buy lunch in town, and then come four o'clock, probably three. You just buzz out of there and you're gone and the city's dead. So there's a migrant working community. The, the CBD of Pretoria has very, very little um, residents. And, and I mean, it's, you've been on the, on the city walks that I've, that I've done. I mean, you, you can see it on a weekend. It's, the people who, who are in town is actually not necessarily the residents. The people who work there definitely don't stay there. And that, that makes for an unhealthy kind of um, setup by any measure. Um, I think if I owned an office building, I would be panicking right now. Um, I think in terms of a spatial, uh, let's say spatial framework or development thing, I think we're going to break 
neighborhoods into smaller communities. You would find that, I mean, and it's, it's actually funny, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and launch a, a social media campaign, but if you look at what the government's saying now, you should exercise within a five kilometer radius. But I mean, while you're doing that, just have a look around. What can you actually find within five k's from your house? Versus what we normally used to do, the moment you need something, you just get in your car and like go somewhere far. And I think that's gonna, or hopefully that's gonna change. Shopping malls, once again, I'd be stressing if I owned a shopping mall because shopping malls were struggling before this. Mm. And I was, just, I was just chatting to my wife last night, last night saying, I think it would be funky if shopping malls actually say, well, let's, let's sort of repurpose this infrastructure and say, cool, all these shops already have space. We've got this thing which is sort of central to certain neighborhoods. So whatever shopping mall now starts an online platform to say you order uh, stuff from various sets of shops and then they deliver it to you. So all of that sort of circulation space and excessive parking space and whatever can be turned into a, a factory packaging kind of setup and they just deliver it to you. I don't think we're going to buy stuff the way we used to. I hope, I hope we don't. Um, and I think if you, if you look at the, the excess and the, the way in which we were, we were operating in the world, it's unnecessary. I mean, why, would you, why do you need to show me so much billboards and physical stuff if you can show it to me in a digital way? Yeah. So I, 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 hope that, I hope that this kicks us into a different trajectory. That, that being said, I've, you know, if, if you look at the, the last couple of years, especially with the advent of e-commerce and you know, something like Take A Lot in South Africa and Amazon, Amazon abroad, you know, there is more and more online sales and shopping taking place. But that being said, people, I found that people are still yearning for the person-to-person human interaction. They still want to go into a shop and feel the clothes that they're buying and test out the, the technology that they want to buy. What Do you think that's going to change? Uh, it's going to depend on how long this drags out. I think if you, um, I know it's someone that you also um, read it or read, read some of his material, but uh, Mark Manson early into this said that he predicts uh, kind of a, a fear of going out, sort of a psychological issue that we're going to develop. You're going to compare everything, or you're going to weigh everything up versus the risk of actually going out. I mean, for myself, I try and stay home as much as possible. We do shopping like once or whatever in two weeks. Um, so I, it depends. If, if this dra- drags out fairly long, yeah, I think, or long, we're going to end up saying, but you know, it's not worth it. Like I'll just, I mean, you know, if you want a new MacBook, you know what it's about. You're going to research it. You're going to order it. They're going to deliver it. What do you really? So I think, I mean, I was in the, in the shops um, on over the weekend, unfortunately, big mistake. And it's, it's crazy how many people are still there. Yeah. But, but the experience is weird. I mean, you, you, you're wearing this mask, you're sort of self-conscious, you have to queue to go into shops. I don't know. I think, I think it's going to change at least to some extent. And, and remember, the problem is all of those infrastructure-related things were actually depending on a, sort of a critical mass. Mm. And I don't, I don't think we're going to get that critical mass back. So, so on the one end, if it doesn't change due to psychological or, or it's a human behavior, it's going to change due to the, the economical model not being viable anymore. Um, I mean, I'm a, we've, over the weekend, we've tried to order f- um, from some of our local sort of pl- places that we frequent just to try and support them. And it's crazy how 
it's not like some random delivery guy dropping off stuff. It's the, the people who run the place. It's the owners. Everyone like it's really back to the owners are involved. And it's, I mean, we ordered the, the most random stuff. We, we ordered like literally a bag of coffee beans and some pastries from, from the one shop that we liked. Um, we've ordered takeaway from, from Koi. I mean, it's, it's the owners and the managers and the people who are, who are involved on ground level. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's definitely trying times. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to chat a little bit, you know, we, we were chatting earlier about your, your CBD missions and, you know, the, the different ways that we can start to implement buildings. Where did your passion for the CBD come from? Um, you know, it's Pretoria city proper. Yeah, I think it's sort of a, it's definitely a, a, a thing that comes with the territory in terms of architecture. I studied at, at Tuana University of Technology, which is on the other side of town from where I stayed. So I was forced to drive through town every day. Um, and then the photography thing, or my passion for photography, forced me to to venture into the city just due to the, the excitement of taking photos in, in areas where other people weren't taking photos at that point. Um, and then that naturally got sort of accelerated tenfold when I started working for government, which was in, in town. So I got the opportunity to work for public works right after I studied. Um, which was also during some sort of a recession back then. So it made sense to take the job and they were paying quite well and I wasn't too busy. So, I mean, the, the time at some point, there's a mutual friend we, we, we share that. I mean, at some point we were taking photos like before work, during lunch and after work. It was yeah. literally, it was, it was intense. Um, and I think that the photos set me on a course where people started messaging me and DMing me on Instagram. We were sort of, I mean, both of us were sort of on the back end of the Instagram peak. So we just got, we got sort of a little bit of attention, but just enough to be noticed. <laughs> and then that naturally developed into uh, these walking tours, which I started in 2014, if I'm not mistaken, which was actually part of a, a, a campaign that we did. Uh, there's a well-known Pretoria architect who sort of piggybacked off design capital in Cape Town at that point. We call it Cool Capital. And then he, we had a discussion. He said, well, can't you do something in town? And I said, I had no budget. And we ended up doing walking tours because it was free. And then City Prop, through their creative um, unit, I want to central, phoned me up and said, listen, we like this idea. You're doing it for us now. I mean, that was six years ago. And, yeah. and I mean, we still did We did one in the lockdown now. We did a virtual, the first virtual walking tour. And I think we had like, almost 250 people um, participating at the same time. I think up to now, it's like over 6,000 views. So it's really, and I think it's a, there's a curiosity about the city, but there's also a conservative sort of Afrikaner scared kind of thing. And the moment they see, oh, no, it's fine. We can go with this guy. Then it's cool. Then they, yeah. And it's crazy how over the six years, we've, we've, the minimum we've done is four years. There'd never be less than 60 people since I... Yeah. Um, I want to I chat about these little business ventures that you, you, you find yourself running into. You know, so I, I feel like everything that you, you start doing and that eventually turns into some money-making racket is like, it's like a passion-driven thing for you. You, you just start, do you just start something and see where it goes and then all of a sudden you, you're making money from doing it? Or how does it work? How do you, how do you just eventually start making money from all this stuff? I think um, the, the stuff that's been the most successful was actually not about the money, funny enough, as cliche as that might sound. Yeah. 
So the, the walks were 100% pro bono. And when this big corporate approached me, I was like, okay, well, they, you're going to pay. And they're like, oh, well, cool, what do we pay? And I'm, I, I concocted a price and they were happy. And it's sort of been carrying on. And um, the, if we go back to the, the, the OG, and I mean, let's, there's been a lot of businesses, ideas. I mean, I've, from a young age, I've, I've been a DJ with zero gigs. I've had, uh, I was, at some point I was breeding budgies, zero money made there. Um, so there's been a lot of stuff that, that's go, gone south. And I think if I was probably a better, a better business person, I would make even more money. Um, but, but the most of it, it starts from a place, a place of passion. And I just go with it. And then at some point, someone sort of reaps it up. I mean, I've, I've done weird stuff. I've shot, I mean, you know, I've shot photos for Adidas. I mean, this is a huge brand, which by some weird way, they're willing to pay me for a day to take photos in Jovic CBD. It was the weirdest thing. Um, so, in, yeah, maybe that, that sort of old cliche of follow your passion and the money will follow. I can tell you that there's not a lot of money following. <laughs> it's not like I'm doing amazingly well. But I, I trust that it's all going to collide into one thing one day. Um, and I mean, if it wasn't for the Jaffles, then the next thing wouldn't have happened. If it wasn't for government, I would have been in town. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have done the walking tours. If it wasn't for that. So all of this, in my opinion, slots into some bigger kind of scheme. And, and then there's a, there's a the story that one of these things that people share that Steve Jobs apparently uh, claimed that you can't connect the dots looking forward. Mm. You can only connect them looking back. I'm, I'm quite comfortable with that. You know, so I... I grab onto things that excite me. Sometimes they make sense. Sometimes I abandon them. It's fine. It's life. Um, I think there's, there's always, especially within the creative community, there's people I find that there's people who they're, they're too often too scared to, to take a leap of faith and just do stuff and like too scared to fail almost. And what I've seen with you in the very short period of time that we've known each other, which actually isn't all that short if we, if we start to think about <laughs> Not it. Not anymore, no. Yeah. Um, is you just seem to have this unwavering confidence of like, you know, do something and if it works out fucking great, if you don't, then who cares? Like fucking fall onto the next thing. And I think that's that's one of the things I really like about you. And, and I wanted to segue into a conversation about success because when I start to think about successful people, um, I don't think of, of really rich and wealthy and notorious or infamous, famous people. Um, to me, success has always been measured by like if you set out to do something and you eventually get there, like that to me is success. If you set out to have a cabin in the woods and live a very lonely life and not see anybody forever and ever and ever, and you eventually get to do that, that, that to me is success. And I've always found that you're one of those kinds of people that you, you somehow, when you put your mind to something, you actually eventually get there. And to me, I, I would consider you to be one of those very successful kind of people. Um, do you, who do you think of when you think of the word success? And do you think that that's something that you've achieved? Firstly, absolutely no. I have not, I don't get that feeling at all. I'm glad that, I'm glad that it looks like that from the outside. I think perhaps <laughs> the disconnect between your version of me and mine is that you don't see the stuff that gets abandoned as intensely as I do. Um, I, and, and those to me feel like big failures. But I get 
in a weird way, I get the same amount of joy from, I mean, I embarked on the sourdough baking journey during this lockdown. And I mean, I get, I, I got an amazing amount of joy from baking this bread. And I, I, you know, I told my wife, I think I figured it out. I, I really just like creating just for the sake of creating. And if it's, if it's a, I mean, the jaffles we did weren't like tacky jaffles. They were gourmet jaffles and they were amazing. And I was proud of it. So for me, success is actually when I feel good about it. And it's weird because I, I do fall into that sort of trap where I, I really enjoy the likes and the follows and the comments and the shares. I mean, we've all been there. If, if you don't, if you don't admit that you enjoy that, then you, you then you're still lying to yourself. Mm. So I can admit that I, I, I admit that I do enjoy that, but I must say the most satisfying is when I'm actually happy with what I've done. Um, so yeah, you know, and I also I, I suffer from um, let's call it uh, I think they they phrase it being forever discontent. So I really I move the the goalpost. And I don't, I don't have it. I don't have this big thing like I want a cabin in the woods, or I want to design the tallest building, or I want to do that. I just want to try everything, and have fun along the way. Um, so for me, I think if I can sit at the end of the day, just sit, have a sundowner, and say, "Oh, it's been a good day," I'll be content. I've, I don't, don't achieve that a lot, and that's probably what keeps me fueled to try more stuff. Um, if you, if you had to look back now, I mean, you're, you're a couple of years older than I am, but if you had to look back at sort of Adrian at university days, um, what would you say to yourself? That's a, oh, it's a difficult thing. Um, I don't, I, 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 there's nothing I would do over nothing. I don't regret anything. I don't do regrets. I don't want to change a decision because my philosophy is that it, it builds on, on the next thing. So I would, I would probably uh, tell myself to be a little bit more aggressive. Um, and I think maybe that's why we get along, because I see that aggression in, in your approach to things. Um, and you, you are a bit younger, so I, I'm not sort of, I admire your seriousness in terms of embarking on, on certain ideas and ventures. Yeah, I, I, I would just, but at the same time, if I look back, one of my uh, best school friends actually phoned me. I think we were like four years into varsity. He phones me and said, yes, if I only, like he saw one of our teachers at the university, he brought the rugby team or whatever there. And he said, no, he saw this guy again today and he realized it was all a scam. You shouldn't have taken it so seriously. I said, no, exactly. I told you this in school already. <laughs> so, so at the same time, if I look back, I would tell myself to be more aggressive and serious. But I've always been fortunate that I think I approach stuff with just the right amount of seriousness versus not, not caring too much. This too shall sort of figure itself out. And um, yeah, it's, it's, that's my approach. I, I do. I also think um, I recently read a book called uh, Essentialism, the, the something pursuit of less disciplined pursuit of less and that i read it because i thought maybe it'll help me with all this dabbling business but what i actually realized from it is in my life i've always been able to if i see something i would sort of plot the shortest route to it 
Um, and it comes from a sort of a critical analysis place as well to say, okay, you have to do this, but to do that, you have to do that. And then what's the shortest route there? I mean, and it, it ties into a thing that's called economy of scale. If you're going to shoot a photo, let's put it in a, in a sort of analogy that you 100% get. If you're going to shoot a photo that you're going to post to Instagram, you don't have to shoot it on a full frame hustle blot, whatever. It doesn't matter. So use the tools and the time and the skill for what the end goal is. Because otherwise you end up spending so much time on something that doesn't actually matter. Mm. Um, that's I've, actually... Been, I, you know, I've been able to successfully apply that, but the problem is I apply it to everything that I find interesting. <laughs> but, you know, so myself being a, a qualified industrial engineer, I especially sort of halfway through my degree, the sort of towards the ending years of my degree, you start to apply this mindset to everything. And I don't consider myself to be, you know, I think much in the same way that you don't consider yourself to be successful in the way that a lot of other people consider you to be successful. I feel the same about myself. Um, but the way that I've, I've, I look at life is I try to optimize and efficiency drive everything with everything in my life um there isn't like even the way that i you know my office space has changed the way that i pushed my desk and it's all because of like this you know this critical thinking thing that you were thinking about and what you mentioned just now i had a conversation literally yesterday with a friend of mine he's a very very talented uh, guitar luthier he builds guitars and fix instruments and that kind of thing and he was chatting to me about advice on camera equipment you know he wants to sort of document what he's doing at the moment and you know he's looking at maybe buying a gopro or buying a dslr and i said to him look before you do that before you go out and spend a lot of money waste a lot of money buying equipment use yourself use yourself yeah. because because you know, at the end of the day, you can buy the fanciest gear that you want, but if you don't actually enjoy the process of making the video or documenting, the, the gear is not going to help you. So use your cell phone for the first five or six times and see if you actually enjoy the process of making the videos. Um, then you can start to, you know, upgrade your equipment and get, you know, better quality imagery and that kind of stuff. But use your cell phone from the beginning because you have your cell phone and cell phones today are fucking incredible. Um, so it is that kind of critical thinking of using the tools at your disposal to make the things that you want to make. Because I think, I, I, again, this is very, it's very interesting that we're chatting about this, especially now during the lockdown, because my dad's very similar to you in the sense he's very DIY, very build quality driven things. And he was saying, you know, during the lockdown, you, you, you couldn't buy any sort of supplies for wood or anything like that. And you can, you couldn't go out and buy the specific thing that you needed to fix something else. So it also had to, you had to train your mind. Now it's like you, you're, you're sort of training your mind now to get by with a lot less and using the things at your disposal, which is cool. Um, I wanted to actually chat with you now about the kind of thing where you, you do have a lot of different ideas compared to everyone else, but from your perspective, what is something that you believe that is, completely crazy or that everyone else would think is completely crazy i believe um well i think for myself i i think that we um we all we we not necessarily on sort of a, a predetermined path i think you can actually change you can adapt and and figure it out as you go along i think uh 
maybe the, the most contradicting statement that I can put towards this question would be, I don't actually believe in being so prepared. I, I suck with preparing. Um, I mean, I, I do those walks, we do this. I, I don't prepare. I can't prepare for something. It freaks me out. So I just make sure that I'm prepared to think on my feet. Mm. And, and then the, 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 the sort of a catchphrase for that would be like, there's, there's, it's better being able to improvise than being prepared. So yeah, I, I, and I believe it. I stick to it. It's, it's weird. It's, it's probably going to bite me in the ass one day. It's actually caught up to me once. And, 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 and this was um, a fairly inconvenient time. But, and you weren't there. But I just sort of figured, you know what? I've, I've literally winged every other speech or whatever in my life. So I'm just going to get up there on my wedding night and just I'll figure out what I want to say to my wife when I'm there. You know? Yes. Oh, did I bomb out. It was disgraceful. I'm probably going to have to do some sort of 10-year wedding renewal vow thing just to make up for it. It was terrible. It was atrocious. But that's how I knew she's the right one. Yeah. Because with any other thing, I could just wing it. With her, it was like there was nothing. It was bomb. I was, I was dead in the water. But it's, you know, so, and, and that's the one time I can remember that actually didn't pan out for me. But, but contrary to that, if you know what you if you know what you want to do or you know your field or your content or same with you i mean you have to improvise as a photographer you have to improvise you stuff starts going wrong on on a shoot and all of a sudden there's no there's no preparation for for when stuff goes wrong um, and i thrive i thrive on it when stuff goes wrong i dig it i don't know why it's weird like we, when we're traveling we, we noticed this when we, when we started traveling for the first um, first few trips like stuff would go wrong. I mean, our first overseas trip to the States, we did enough flying hours to qualify for like a small plane license. I think we flew over 100 hours on that first trip. And of those, I think it was eight flights, we probably sat together for four because of delays, missing flights, jumping this. I would like chat us onto a different flight because the previous flights already left and our suitcases would be lost. And I just love it. I love the chaos of traveling. So yeah, that, that's that's maybe a, if I can contribute that weirdness. <laughs> I I want to ask now though, with with this travel and chaos, you guys have recently had a new fam family member join your your little uh, duo. You have yeah. the, you have the little dog now that's joined you, um, Marie yeah, Antoinette. I mean. Marie Antoinette. Yeah, that's that's it's a big name for a small dog. Um, shame she's a, a rescue Boston Terrier. And but it's so, they always say your kids adapt to the parents. I, I don't know if she was this way or which just sort of adapted to us, but she's super chilled. She just hangs around on the couch, checks out. She loves eating, which sort of is a natural fit for us. Um, the traveling thing is going to be difficult. We've taken her with on a few trips. She um, enjoys the car, so road trips. I mean, we literally drove back from the coast, December. 16-hour car ride. We got out here, packed out the stuff, and I just wanted to pull the car into the garage. And she jumped in. She wanted to drive more. <laughs> so there's no issue with, with road trips. But overseas, you know, we'll probably, it'll probably be an issue or we'll leave it with my parents or something. Um, well, I, I, I've been hearing, I've got family in, in Scotland. Um, it's, it's an old married couple. They're both retired. And they, they've got a dog pass, passport for their, for their dog. And then they, they just they fly everywhere with the dog. 
I don't know how that works from from South Africa's perspective. Mm. I'm, I'm sure. Well, I'm sure. I'm going to mention that to to the wife, and she's going to definitely figure it out. She's she's quite aggressive like that. So <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> um, we were sort of chatting earlier about you, you bombing out with certain things. What is a fa- apart from that one experience that you've had? What is one of your favorite failures? Um, sort of something that you just was a complete bomb out, but you actually learned so much more from it, or it opened a door to something else. So it's, that's a difficult question for me because I don't see. I normally reduce the failure in my mind because I've already moved on to the mm-hmm. next thing. Um, I think I, I definitely stuck around too long at government. Um, I, if I could go back, that's probably one of the things I would maybe, I would not not do it, but I would just um, jump ship earlier. Um, but it, it has its place. I think I've learned, um, in every experience, I've learned a, a set of skills. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't have a, a, favorite, you know, a favorite bomb out besides for the wedding night well not the night at least but the the speech <laughs> um so yeah no i i literally i i roll with the punches i don't i don't i, I don't think i dwell in, enough on it to to realize that it was a big failure maybe someone else should tell me one day <laughs> I'll, I'll follow I up almost, this conversation with your wife someday yeah maybe um i think for me um, my, my final year, year at varsity was really probably the worst year of my life and that was the closest I've ever come to to given up on something, given given up to the extent where I just give up. With most of the other stuff, it's always been sort of a pivot into the next thing, and then just let that thing die, die down, or or whatever. Um, so, no. What is one of the one of the best investments that you've ever made? Um, and that doesn't necessarily have to be money wise. Just something that you feel like you've put a lot of time and effort into that really. Well, I think on on a physical physical level, it's definitely been the tech. I was a, I think I owned the first one of the first five six Ds in the country, which that boosted my photography. I pre-ordered with Orms back then, yeah. Um, So that boosted my photography, and the photography boosted my sort of social media presence, which helped me get into other positions and 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 sort of strategic spots. Um, I did. Recently, I just bought an iPad with a pencil, which has changed my life. Especially now that I don't want to, I don't want to print everything during this period. So it's it's amazing to mark up stuff. Um, more on a on a sort of educational level, I buy a really big amount of books. And I, I yeah, I think for myself, I've never been able to find real life um, mentors. You know, any any self-help guru will tell you find a mentor. That's great, but I don't. I, I just don't. I don't know who to to make that connection with. I've got a lot of people who could probably be mentors. I just don't see it that way. Maybe. So I read. I try and read a lot of. Um, I balance it sort of between cliche self-help stuff and architectural theory, and I don't do any fiction or fun stuff. There's no light reading now. Not a not a Harry Potter fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then, speaking of all these books that you buy, what is what is something that's what's your favorite book, or is there something a, a book that you recommend the most to people to read? I would definitely recommend the the Essentialism book. Um, I mean, we can we can get the author and stuff. I'm not too good with names or dates. Um, 
And then I'm, I've also got a book that's almost like a reference book at the moment, which is Tools of the Titans by Tim Ferriss. It's a pretty funky book. He's also big into like life hacking and that sort of stuff. So it, there's a lot of quick quirks. It's almost like, a, you know, that kind of toilet reading. You can like mm. read it for five minutes and just chuck it. Um, other than that, I'm reading a fun, I, always, I also read about four books at a time. So that's also a bit of a, a mission, but it makes sense in my mind. Um, I, I'm reading a book called The Language of Things, which is pretty cool because at the moment you're more conscious of the kind of stuff that's around you. Um, and, and also the consumerism related to it. You were, you were mentioning where you have to improvise with the, with the things you have at hand. And I found it such a challenge because in that last week before we went into lockdown, I was trying to make lists. Like I have to prepare. I'm very sort of goal driven. I need to prepare. What am I going to be able to do during this time? I've got water. I've got this. I've got that. DIY stuff. Um, and it ended up being a liberating kind of thing to not have everything and to not jump in your car and drive to builders to go get something. You have to like make do with what you have. Surprisingly, a lot of stuff at my house. Um, and, and we recently renovated this place and then directly after that, a, a rental property. And um, so there's a lot of leftover stuff here. And I, we ended up making, my wife's been on my case about a, about a few sort of DIY stuff at, at our, the house. And I mean, if, you, if you're young and you're DIY inclined, don't tell your future wife that because you end up getting so much work. Um, <laughs> We, we ended up uh, making, I had some old kitchen cupboards, do, cupboard doors, and I started screwing them together. We made this big panel, um, and we made an artwork out of old kitchen cupboard doors. Um, and we've I fixed, I fixed stuff with the most random other stuff. Like I'd find old light fittings and then fix something else that needed. So it becomes a sort of a creative problem-solving thing, which I think is good, and I think it's healthy. I think we were way too reliant on just solving stuff with quick fixes. And that's why I did the sourdough thing because it takes so damn long. I mean, and that's why I'm doing planted veggies because I think there's a, and probably 80% of these habits will die after the lockdown, which is fine. But I think there is, there's something to investigate about um, using things differently and, and, trying to reduce this consumerist nature mm. to something. Not, not with, uh, not with, with you know, I don't want to be like too much of a EP triager. I'm just saying, I think we need to reevaluate our decisions to some extent. <laughs> um, Adrian, starting to, to wind down here. Um, I actually can't believe we've already chatted for almost an hour. Um, what, where can the party people on the internet find you? Uh, what are your social media handles? Do you have a website? Well, yeah, the, 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 the peculiar thing is there's an unfortunate amount of Audrey and Lowe's. Um, there's one who's an amazing videographer, which is so frustrating because he comes up when you Google my name. I don't know why he comes up. Um, and then there's actually a very old or older um, architect as well same name it's terrible so branding wise it's, it's a total cock up um so my 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 on instagram i'm just audrey low but then my my majority of my social media stuff i drive through what the name that we've created which is local um same name same spelling as the surname and then just k-u-l which is sort of a wordplay on on local and maybe authentic or whichever way you want to interpret it so I've got a design architecture design company, local design lab. 
we've got per locals, which is the travel blog. And then you know, if you don't find me that way, then you shouldn't be using a computer. Um, okay. So, so my last question for you today is if you had access to that more of a big billboard on the N1 and everyone was driving past and sitting in Fakir and they're just staring at this one billboard, what would this billboard say? Um, because I believe in being concise for billboards, it would say, uh, if you don't believe in yourself, how do you expect others to? And it's a bit of a, a, a joke in terms of people perceiving me as being arrogant. So it's, yeah, and I, I don't see it as arrogance. I see it as, as just trying to get stuff done or sort of being assertive about getting stuff done. And yeah, I, I, I live by it. I think you have, to, you have to believe in yourself. I've also found that if I don't believe in an idea, I might as well not do it. It's failed. Those are the things that fail, the ones that I doubt. And um, I've even seen that with, with, with other, other facets of my life. Like if, if my wife asks me something, she even knows now. If I don't say, hell yeah, then it's no. It's, it's actually interesting that this is the thing that you, you bring up because I remember, and, and it's weird how your mind works in this, in this sense. I remember we, you, me, um, Alessio, maybe Lebs was there, maybe Msizi was there sitting at our, our favorite coffee shop after a session out in the city at five o'clock in the morning on a Friday morning. And we're busy posting photographs to Instagram when Instagram was still a, a legit a thing. Yeah. Um, I remember you guys, you know, you would post a photograph and immediately like your own photograph. And I, I saw, you know, <laughs> what is up with this? Why, why are you liking your own photograph? I actually remember this. Y'all. You were seriously confused. Though. <laughs> and, and it was something that you said. You said, you know, if, if I don't like my own photograph, why should everyone else like it? Um, and I mean, if you, don't, you know, if you don't, like, why are you posting it? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't like my own stuff anymore. I think it was, we were also trying to just create some sort of thing to screw over the algorithm of Instagram. But um, I do believe it. I do. And I, like I said earlier, I think those are the things, like, that's the, the, the place where I start approaching some level of contentness. Mm-hmm. The moment I feel, I feel happy. Yeah. Um, Unfortunately, it's a passing feeling. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that is, it's an important thing to, to process. Uh, and it's, it's, it's made me look at things differently. And again, it was, as you just mentioned, it's not about, it's not about, you know, liking your own photograph on Instagram. It's, it's about the metaphor of, actually enjoying the process and being proud of the work that you create. Um, and I think there's so much to be said about that kind of thing. 100%. Adrian, I think we did, you and I can both agree that we can probably sit here and chat for another two or three hours. So we'll definitely have to get you back onto the show at some point. Um, but thank you so much for yeah, joining. Let's, let's wait for my next venture. We'll see what I'll come up with next. It's the, moment, the moment the lockdown drops, uh, Adrian's hitting the ground running with his five. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, if, if architecture fails, I'll probably start something else. <laughs> so, so thank you so much for joining the show. And to everybody else out there who's been listening, who's been watching, thank you so much. I'll catch you guys on the next one.